Welcome back to the second episode of New Creation Woman Podcast, where we chat all things beautiful and ugly about womanhood through the faithful lens of restoration and renewal by Christ. We opened up the series with a focus on biblical femininity. So if you missed our first episode on Ezer Konegdo, go check it out. And if you haven't done so already, please subscribe to our podcast wherever you are listening from. We are available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. So whenever you're tuning in from wherever you're tuning in, just give us a five-star rating and written review that will help us reach more ears that are willing to hear and hearts that are willing to receive. It really helps us further our reach and work for His kingdom here on earth. Alrighty, now let's get to the good stuff. This week, we are going to dare to discuss the highly controversial concept of biblical submission. (laughs) So when you hear the phrase, and most women cringe, uh, wives, submit to your husbands. Yeah, it's a rough one, and it confuses many of us because most of the time it is misinterpreted. And God, you know, if he created us equal, then what is that all about? Um, So last week we had a super episode where we laid down some foundations and these are core principles to biblical femininity. So understanding out who we are as women according to scripture and that Hebrew phrase that I mentioned earlier, Ezer Konegdo, two short Hebrew words that are jam-packed full of hidden gems where they give us insights behind what God intended as he created a woman, right? And how he created us to be. So I'm not gonna go back over the whole thing, um, but I think it's important to bring up a couple summary key points where we lay down what we know so we can continue to build on that understanding. We talked about how timely and important it is for us now as women to embrace who we are, especially with children that are being, unfortunately, recruited by woke agendas and they're trying to confuse our children about what gender is, let alone to embrace theirs. And sadly, it's being supported from some of our highest officials in government. And it goes all the way down to public schools now. Kids are looking up to these people that are supposed to be their role models in society. And these people are telling them that it's okay to have gender dysphoria, that you don't even need to have a psychological assessment or therapy or your parents' permission, that you can just go ahead and transition from one gender to another and do all this irreversible damage, removing body organs without consent, and possibly even just to choose to have no gender at all. So it really gets me that they are even daring to use scripture to try to support this type of this type of nonsense, really, that's what it is. They're twisting scripture and they're trying to distort the true meaning of the word of God and make it just match their own agendas. Like when President Biden said that transgender people were made in the image of God. That is a complete misinterpretation of Genesis 1.27. And so that's using the Bible study method that we know as esegesis or esegesis. And that is when there's an interpretation being made of the word or a passage based on subjective, non-analytical reading. So the word esegesis literally means to lead into, which means to interpret or interject your own idea into the text. 
and it's it's making it just mean whatever you want it to mean. And this is a super mishandling of the text to prove a point that's not actually relevant to the written word. And you know, there are several passages in the Bible that warn us about false teaching and specifically in the end times, people that are gonna rise up and twist scripture. Uh, we see this in 1 Timothy 4.1, where it says that now the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Now, I can tell you that I had to share this with you because I can see clearly the enemy's tactic here. I see it loud and clear, and I just don't know if many others are catching on. You know, he is coming after our bloodline. He is coming after our generations. He is coming after procreation and ultimately ending life and destroying God's plan and purpose for humanity. And he's doing it with the perversion of gender. Ideologies that are being forced and are false, they're heavily being pushed into our children's minds, and he's trying to reprogram normal. He's trying to take away what is good and what is evil. And he's doing it strategically with the youth of this country. And he's doing it from dividing parents and households, child and parent. So, you know, first of all, we know that our gender and our roles are not socially constructed, that that is an attack of the enemy on our God-given identities and with the ultimate goal of destroying God's plan for procreation and thus eliminating generations from ever being born. So what's the enemy here to do after all? Like we know that he comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy. Those three things. It's biblical. And right there, he's stealing identities. He's killing generations by halting natural procreation and destroying God's plan and purpose for human beings on our earth. You know, if a woman is married to a woman or becomes a trans man that's married to a woman, they can't procreate. You know, the bloodline stops with them. And the same thing goes for a man with a man or a trans woman with a man. It ends there. A pretty effective strategy, I mean, of the enemy, right? It's, he's largely winning right now with society and popular culture, and it has even confused some churches. I mean, as Christians, they're accepting this. They're allowing them into the church. They're saying it's all good. You know, God loves you. Um, but these people are continuing to live in sin. Isaiah 5.20, it says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. You know, it, it doesn't mean that these people are the types that are condemned without the chance of grace. They can seek salvation, they can turn from their wicked ways and repent, but they can't continue to live in their sin and expect acceptance of their sin by the church or other Christians or God, because God does not dwell where sin lies. And those that refuse to heed his way and just live life their own way are acting outside of God's perfect will for them and outside of God's favor. Romans 12, 2 says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what is God's will, his good, pleasing, and perfect will for your life. 
So, you know, the world is a wild place to live in as a believer. And although we have stuck, we are stuck in it, we do not have to be of it, right? It's love the sinner and hate the sin. And, you know, it's not always easy to love through some of these controversial subjects because people get passionate, you know, it strikes close to the heart. But in the end of the day, it's what the word says. And the word is sharper than any two-edged sword. It strikes straight through the bone and the marrow. And that is what we have chosen as the way and how we know we ought to live. So, you know, in this series, I'm going to be continuing to shed light on different aspects of our identities as daughters of the King and to embrace biblical femininity as new creation women who are purposefully living the way he so perfectly designed us to. You know, because God does not make mistakes. And we're going to use the sound doctrine of Bible study. And it's the opposite of exegesis, what we talked about just a moment ago. Um, it's called exegesis. And it's we're going to arrive to these conclusions together based on expositions or explanations of careful, objective analysis of the word as it is written. And when he created male and female, he had an intended order. God is a God of order and he had a role for each one of those unique creations. And he made us equal, but he also made us different. And that's what the deal is when women are, you know, questioning, why am I supposed to submit to men if we're all one and created equal in Christ? So let's look at Genesis 1:27 where it tells us that God created man in his own image and the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. And so we see that God created both male and female equally, and he created them in his image. Both are needed to fulfill God's plan and purpose for his creation and the earth. But the word equal does not necessarily translate as identical. He created men and women equal, but different. And I think it's important to pause and just think about what that means for a minute. You know, the world has often made us think that there's an inferiority complex between the genders, that one might be better or worse than the other. And so we can see clearly in scripture that it simply is not true. However, you know, that's what that feminist movement clung onto, and it's, it's a broken view. It's a broken view of what a woman is supposed to be, that we were being forced down to be lower or, you know, something that's just, it's a broken perspective. And unfortunately, you know, obviously the natural reaction to that is women are going to rise up and fight, right? We don't want to be pushed down. And so there are similar broken views and perversions of what gender is happening in the world still today. The world has a totally misinterpreted and distorted view of what the biblical role of a wife is, and it's ruined marriage. I mean, look at the statistics for divorce and even new marriages. Less and less people are even bothering to get married these days, let alone stay married for life. And, you know, it comes down to these core biblical principles being completely misunderstood and therefore abandoned. Um, it's our duty as godly women to pass down what is sound doctrine, you know, what is good and true to the younger generation. And that's what it says in Titus 2. 
And that's what I'm hoping to equip you with through this podcast, whether you are married or single or looking to get married or just not even interested, this can still apply to you because it's a core biblical principle and much more about the way Jesus has called us to live our lives as women in Christ. So how do we set the record straight? Well, we go to the word always. And we know that it says in the word in Titus chapter two, it talks about promoting good teaching and that this is something from the New Living Translation. It says that we should promote the kind of living that affects wholesome teaching, that we are to teach the older women to live in a way that honors God, that they must not slander, that they must not be heavy drinkers. Instead, they should teach others what is good. And these older women must train the younger women to love their husbands and their children, to live wisely and to be pure, to work in their homes, to do good, and to be submissive to their husbands. Then they will not bring shame on the word of God. I mean, like just Think about that. Shame on the word of God. Let's look at a few more scriptures. First Peter 3, 1 through 3 says that wives in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and the reverence of your life. And the infamous Ephesians 5, 21 through 24. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Yeah, I know <laughs> that's not sounding much better yet, right? But let's break this down. And Tim Mackey, he's one of my favorite teachers. He's from the Bible Project. He put it really nicely in a teaching he gave several years back. And he said it like this. He said, as Christ followers, we are heirs to a vision of marriage and relationships that is so beautiful and that is filled with such hope for a culture like ours. It sees marriage as a reenactment of grace and of the story of Christ's self-giving love. I love the way he put that because, you know, what does it truly mean to submit as a follower of Jesus? Like, think about how we are called to submit ourselves to him fully, to surrender our selfish ways and follow his ways, to submit ourselves to his lordship in our lives in every way. And so anybody he calls us to submit to, I mean, that's just, you know, that's what he's called us to do. And it doesn't mean that we are giving men free reign to live like manipulative tyrants because if they were behaving like that, then chances are they are not submitting to God themselves. And we'll get into that more in a moment. But, you know, here's the way that God is a God of order. He created all of his creation in an order, male and female being one, husband and wife being a part of that order. So there's another key here, and that is to find the liberation that comes in submission. 
By submitting to Christ, we are under his grace and favor, are we not? And we're no longer carrying all of the weight of our own sins, of our own burdens, and we are under the yoke. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Rest for your souls. I love that. So in submission, there is rest. That might sound strange to think about, right? Because to whom much is given, much is respected. I'm sorry, much is expected. And the person who is in charge or has authority, they have a lot to do. They, they might be you know, focused on running the household and you can be much more free and liberated when you break those positions up into roles. So instead of trying to do everything and lead when another person is already supposed to be leading, you can flourish in the role that God has perfectly created in the order for you. So, you know, a husband's duty, uh, first and foremost, is to submit to God. Why? Because that's what God calls it to do. When the top of the household is properly submitted to God, then it would unfold well that the wife submits to the husband and the children to the parents, all under God. But if the man is not submitted to God, then the woman has really no duty to submit or surrender or obey him because the first allegiance is always to submit to God as our highest authority as believers. Listen, I'm not saying that if you're unequally yoked, if you're married to a non-believer, or if your spouse is just not as mature in their faith as you are, you know, that you might as well just go ahead and throw in the towel and ignore everything that that man says. No, I'm absolutely not saying that. What I'm saying is that there is an intended order that God created and that it is what it says it is in his word. As their connecto, we are the suitable helpers and the perfect match for our males. And so if that is you in any way, then I would like to pray for you. Reach out. You can comment or just pop into my DMs on Instagram. And, you know, I have faith that intercessory prayer really works in relationships. Sometimes our males can fall out of alignment with God. You know, it happens. It, it happened in the book of Esther when the king was about to commit genocide against all of the people and she took the role of Ezer Konegdo. She stood up to him and did not submit, but said, please spare my people. And she spared the lives of many people by being bold enough to submit first to God. And so it can happen that even in a mature believer, they can step out of alignment with God. And, you know, we as the female counterpart, the perfect match, have to point them back in the direction of aligning with God's will. Another example of this is back in 1 Samuel 25, uh, verses 18 and 19, where a wife named Abigail stands up to her husband Nabal, who's in a disagreement with King David, and you know he ends up saving, she ends up saving her whole family and household from destruction. Uh, we talked about that concept more in the last episode. So, you know, sometimes it's the role of the woman of the Ezer Konegdo to oppose if submitting to the husband is not aligned with submitting to God. You know, first ladies, it's always, it's God. So back to submission is liberation. Um, you know, while 
while the head of the household is busy leading and assuming you know all of the responsibilities and there are many we surely know that as women who sometimes try to do both roles right and we can focus on sometimes um flourishing in in what we are neatly good at and so what is that that's nurturing that's caring sometimes that's putting others needs before our own now i'm not saying to subjugate where you don't take care of yourself because you know we all know that you just can't pour from an empty cup <laughs> and that's true but what i'm saying is to embrace the skills of nurturing and nourishing your household your loved ones your friends your family your community and you know that is actually a gorgeous act of both submission and of love. The biblical authors didn't view love as um, something like this emotion or feeling that can come and go. No, they looked at love as something that you do. Love is a commitment to act for the well-being of another person. And so in those verses in Ephesians 5, we can break it down so beautifully that it actually shows mutual love in submission of wives to husbands, of husbands to respect and love and cherish their wives, of the church submitting to Christ and Christians submitting to one another. You know, so often people just don't continue reading. They hit that bump in the road of wives submit to your husbands and they roll their eyes and they close the book, right? But it actually, if you keep going, it, it remarkably reveals what Paul called a deep mystery and it unfolds. It says in chapter five, starting at verse 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless in this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does for the church, for we are the members of his body. And for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. That's where that verse ends. And so however each you know, one of you also must love his wife as you love yourself, as you love himself. And the wife must respect the husband. You know, Paul was challenging the whole community with this submission. You know, if, if love is coming from yourself as an act for the well-being of another person, then to submit is to prioritize the interest and well-being of others above your own. So you are prioritizing the other person in submission and in love. Jesus' communities and relationships should be so grounded in the gospel that they mutually commit to actually doing things. Remember, love is an action verb to elevate one another. 
We are called to love our husbands and our husbands are called to love us. Love as an action verb and not just a feeling. It says wives submit and husbands love, but wives are also to love, right? Just as husbands are also to submit. And it is a relationship of mutual love and mutual submission where the husband is the head. So, you know, what's that mean? We mutually submit, but he is the head. Well, you know, to understand this, we have to look at the first century Roman culture and their social hierarchies, where there is an emperor at the top, and then there's this ruling elite, and then come men who are the patriarchs, then women, then slaves and children, okay? So a Roman man, um, acquired a wife by buying them, okay? It was usually an arranged marriage, some type of status quo thing is involved here. And the average age of the male at the time of marriage back on the first century of Romans was approximately 30. And guess what it was for women? 14 or 15 years old. So these adult men were marrying young girls and you know, <laughs> her value was completely bound up in whatever she has to offer to the household, like bearing children or managing slaves. And you know, this is just the way that it was. But when the believers showed up on the scene, you know, Paul is here telling this whole community and sharing the gospel of the one true God and instilling this new way, this new order, this, this family life with, you know, that goes completely against what the Romans were used to. This is where people are created now equal as brothers and sisters in Christ. And, you know, they dismantled the Roman social ladder. So the organizing principle of the Jesus communities and relationships is all throughout the New Testament. And it's best summarized in Galatians 3, 26 through 28, where it says, for you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all of you were united with Christ. There are no Jews, there are no Gentiles, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. I mean, how gorgeous. The gospel totally deconstructed the way things were formerly done. You know, it set in a new order, the way things operated. Mostly, you know, the lowly person now is, is deserving of the king of kings to die for him or her. And so putting yourself in this time and place, knowing the things of this era. Imagine Paul coming along and, and telling that head of the household who is a 30-something Roman male that you need to put that 14-year-old girl above you, that you might have to give your life for her, like Christ, right? And that you exist to actually serve and love her. I mean, that ought to get you a few, a few laughs by your peers. You're probably getting mocked and, and pushed right out of society, right? And, and so if the husband is the head of the house and the wife, like Christ, is, is the head of the church, then we are redefining what people at that time um, as being the head and appealing to the story of the gospel instead. So how Jesus put himself under others so that their well-beings were prioritized, that he so loved us that he gave us his life. I mean, that totally flips the former idea of what it meant to be a head of anything right on its, right on its side, right? Or authority. 
So with this perspective, we can now see clearly that to be the head is to be like Christ, which means that the last shall be first. If husbands have the priority to lay down their well-being to the well-being of their wives, and the wives are challenged to reciprocate by submitting to their husbands, it becomes a back and forth of mutual submission and love. And, you know, that continues on when both the husband and wife are prioritizing and elevating the other. No one gets squashed. No one loses. They're both being elevated and there's no inferiority. There's no manipulation. There's no male abuse of authority. And it's a gorgeous vision and it can be lived out today in married couples. It can go beyond that. You know, um, how are we to relate to anyone in our lives as believers, our friends, parents, coworkers, etc. It just it's the way that we were called to live. And Jesus and Paul were were both, you know, uh, single. They weren't married. And yet they they had this this way. And so we can best flourish as wives when we imitate Christ. And I just, I really think that what it comes down to is that we need to explore the biblical submission in the marriage relationship. You know, there's a lot more to say, but that's all the time we have for today. <laughs> Maybe we'll pick this back up uh, in a later episode. If you have any specific topics you'd like us to cover in regards to biblical femininity or submission, or you know, just some questions and comments, please, please connect with me on Instagram. I check it multiple times a day. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. And in the meantime, May his peace and grace go with you wherever you are throughout each and every moment of your day. God bless you, sweet sisters. Amen.